Hello, I'm Scott Sotchman. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Mike Labar, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Let's start with the NFL debt limit, guys. Here's a surprise. It's going up. They needed money for the stadium, and the NFL decided to raise its debt limit. And this is what I say about the NFL. Anytime somebody says during a sale process or whatever, well, what's the rule? What's the NFL rule? I always say this. It doesn't matter what the rule is now because if it's an inconvenience, they can just change it. And they do it all the time. Not only is it going up, it's going up a lot. Yeah. The previous record for, for a team that was able to borrow from the NFL to build a stadium, $850 million for the Falcons about five years ago. This new L.A. stadium that the Rams will own, the Chargers will play in, $2.25 billion. Well, that's two teams. So Sure, but it's way more than double what that yes, was. Yes, it is. Uh, Even th- I can do that, man. Yes, this is a number that we, we knew was going to go higher, obviously. Um, but it does seem surprising to me that it went as high as it did. Also surprising that there was not more pushback from owners. The, the Sports Business Journal says uh, the Cincinnati Bengals were the only team that really expressed some concerns. Uh, that's Mike Brown's ownership. Um, but yeah, I'm shocked at how big the number is. Remember about, about four or six years ago when the debt limit was just $200 million? Just $200 million? Look at you, Michael Barr, going back in history for the NFL debt limits. Uh, but six years way ago. Way back six- yeah, this I have a, is, my this car is, a, is that old. This is so are your socks. <laughs> this is a special case. This isn't Cincinnati. This isn't Cleveland. This isn't let's oh dare I say it's not even Dallas. This is LA and this stadium is more than a stadium. It's an entire entertainment complex. The NFL will kind of had to have its West Coast hub here. Just whatever LA Live did for downtown LA. The hope that this new complex will do for the area around Inglewood. It's also expensive to build there, as we saw with Cal Athletics, who had to re- retrofit their stadium because they're near a fault line. L.A. also near the San Andreas Fault. Uh, the price of building this stadium it seems to be going up every month at this point, and I'm sure the the raise in the in the debt limit from the NFL is also a product of the fact that this project is getting more and more expensive. You say San Andreas Fault line, what comes to mind? I don't know why it's the La Brea Tar Pits. That's there too. If you've also ever driven, there. you know they have the street La Brea, <laughs> sure, right? Yeah. It's, that's I don't know one. Someone says one. That's what comes to mind. It's got nothing to do with the debt limit, but I just wanted to let you guys know. What movie was that? Where the La Brea Tar Pits, where it was a, a key have, in the movie. Uh, this audience, oh. this is when Eben and Scott look at each other and have yeah. no idea what bar is. Not, not the right person about. to ask on that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, for you, it was probably a silent film. <laughs> Moving right along, uh, NBA making news, obviously outside of the playoffs, but also uh, China's in play here. Yeah, well, the NBA has a new leader for its Chinese arm, for NBA China. And interestingly here, it, it comes from sort of a media and entertainment background. This is not league operations, comes from scripts. This is all about entertainment. And Bar, we've said it on this show a million times where the NBA long-term may have the advantage, may have the advantage in terms of generating revenue and surpassing the NFL one day, is its global scale. And the future is that Thomas Friedman flat world where you're sending out, and Adam Silver has hinted at this, let's sell a final three minutes of games, five minutes of games. How many people around the world will pay for NBA content, whether it be complete games, shoulder programming, little pieces of games, and now we've got perhaps sports betting. 
This is a real opportunity on a global scale. It shows where the thinking is for the NBA in Asia. And this is a process that's been going on for, for decades. I mean, back in 1988, the NBA cut its first deal with CCTV in China, a revenue sharing to broadcast games there. They were the first major U.S. league to have an office there, the first major U.S. league to play games there. Uh, they are definitely the most popular team sport, definitely the most popular American league uh, in China. Uh, and as you know, as you know, it's a, it's a huge country, a lot of people. There is a huge growth opportunity there, and the NBA is kind of finally trying to seize on that. I guess the, the question now is, <laughs> what took us so long to get to this point? Well, as David Stern has always said, you don't just show up in China and do business. You have got to ingratiate yourself. You've got to prove that you're there for the long term. You're there for the investment. You don't just show up. There's a lot of know-how. And that, by the way, is trial and error. That happens too. There's a lot of, oops, we made a mistake. That didn't work. Let's pivot here. That has been the NBA path in China. And it didn't hurt that all of a sudden there was this guy, Yao Ming, who came and played in the NBA and became a focal point and now is actually working on behalf of the Chinese Basketball Association in conjunction with the NBA to get things done. That certainly helps them out. Yeah, it seems as though before you can commercialize your opportunity, you need to make everything available. You know, And they did that through media deals. They have a major deal with Tencent that they're right in the middle of. Every NBA team has its own Chinese language website. It has its own Weibo account, Weibo, the right. social media over there. The NBA's Weibo account has 35 million followers, which is almost 10 million more than the Twitter account has. And Twitter is a global following and Weibo is China only. I mean, there is a tremendous there's a tremendous amount of popularity for the NBA in China, but they've done things to make the league a lot more accessible uh, for Mandarin speakers and Chinese speakers on the ground in China. I hate to bring in old man bar news, but we have, uh, uh, let's call it a trade dust-up at the moment with China. Is this going to impact all of this? This is long-term play. No, you wouldn't think this. I mean, they're not exporting, importing. This is not about that. Um, but you do see also the NBA getting free publicity. This is not an investment on their behalf when, let's say, Kobe Bryant goes and makes his annual trip, or Steph Curry, or James Harden. These are the sneaker companies do the work for them. All of the top names make trips to Asia every year. And you'd think, I'm trying to like, who would be the biggest pop star global you could possibly put together and have them show up? That's what the audience is like. Absolute rock stars when these guys show up. And again, it's about showing the consumer, showing the audience that I'm not just selling, I'm here for you. And that matters. Let's talk about soccer. And let's talk about La Liga. Oh, my. 3.6 billion euros for last season. That's a record revenue for the Spanish Football League. Now, that's the good news. Now, the bad news is that that's still a long way short from England's Premier League. Well, yeah, good news, good news, better news, news to come. Where, where are we standing here, Edmund? EPL also with record revenue, what, about $7 billion? 6.3. And, and it's all being pushed again by media, but... And the interesting part, Evan, why don't you do it? The interesting part is sort of the breakout domestic revenue versus international revenue and in which way they're going. Yeah, we've talked about this a few weeks ago. The domestic rights for the EPL went down. And we had that conversation about whether this was kind of a harbinger of things to come in the U.S., whether this this two-decade run of increasing money coming from media rights deals might be uh, might be coming to an end. But as, as domestic revenue looks to be going down, at least in the near term, for, for the English Premier League, the international media rights are going up. 
You know, so they're offsetting the, the loss of domestic money by just the increasing popularity of, of the league around the world. Uh, 6.3 billion uh, record revenue for a year for for the EPL, and that's for the 16-17 season. Uh, pales in comparison to most of the U.S. leagues here. You know, we have the NFL at 15, baseball at 10, the NBA a little bit a little bit behind that. Uh, the EPL, despite the fact that it is the sport of the world, and despite the fact that it has fans everywhere, uh, doesn't even come close to what to what leagues like the MLB or, or or NBA are putting in. But you've seen what NBC was willing to invest in the EPL, and that has gone well for them. So you wonder moving forward in this digital landscape of you can put some games on an Amazon and some games on a linear and the partnerships that come from it and then that global reach. If you're looking at saturation in your domestic league or your domestic TV contract and all the leagues will look at what else we do, we, do we do at home? But this is not a, you know, a no kidding statement. There's more out there. You have to see where's the potential growth. You've got to reach those customers, and that's where the opportunity lies. One other interesting nugget. A lot of these numbers are coming from a Deloitte study that was put out a couple days ago. Uh, every team in the EPL, so all 20 teams run an operating profit. Uh, that surprised me. So so despite the fact that, that leagues like Major League Baseball and the NBA bring in so much overall revenue, so much more than the EPL, there are tons of teams in baseball and in basketball that do not turn a profit every year. EPL at least has managed to figure that out with a much smaller overall revenue. But now they're getting ready to have the fight that they always have over here or seemingly have had over here about revenue sharing. The big clubs in the EPL don't want to give up more. And the other clubs are saying we've got to come up with some sort of formula where we get a bigger percentage of the pot. So how do you see that playing out? Because obviously your teams like Man City and Man United and Arsenal uh, bring in most of the money. They have a tremendous amount of influence. They're the ones that are playing in the Champions yeah. League every year, which yeah. is a huge money maker as well, uh, versus a much bigger number of smaller clubs that don't bring in that money, maybe don't have as much influence, but are on much less solid if, economic footing. If they're smart, they will take a peek at the old Wellington Mara days of the NFL. You've got to play somebody. You can't play each other every week if you're a top six club. You're not breaking away to form your own thing. You've got to play the West Broms of the world. So figure out a way where the national revenues and the international revenues are shared evenly. And then if I can, a la Jerry Jones, if I can figure out a way to build a better mousetrap and collect more money from my own stadium from my own apparel, domestic, something like that, then perhaps you keep all that revenue. And there is a difference in being a Man United and a Chelsea and a West Brom in that regard. Maybe that can satisfy all parties. Keep in mind that a lot of these smaller clubs are, are increasingly being owned by American businessmen who have experience in the U.S. major sports model. You know, the Crystal Palace, Swansea, Fulham, which will be back up, it looks like, next year. Uh, a lot of these clubs have experienced owners that understand kind of the revenue-sharing models that, that we have in the U.S. I'm going to bring something way in the future. One day when there's a chicken in every pot and a robot in every house, will we ever see the EPL and La Liga and other soccer leagues combined together and merge. Alexa put on the Super League? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Uh, boy, I'd be surprised if they ever came into one. I mean, you've got sort of the tournaments that take the best clubs from around the world, the champions of Europe and Champions League. You've, of course, got the World Cup for the for the national teams. Uh, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to see an EPL fan 
what makes it special is that these are community-based teams and they root for their community team. If everything was just assimilated and you, you took away those those sort of districts and towns and borders, I don't know if it works in that regard. Yeah, I think Scott's right. A, you kind of already have it in a lot of ways. You know, the ICC will put, you know, Man City against Real Madrid next year and the next summer here in the U.S. So there, there are times in which they play each other outside of just the Premier League or outside of just the Champions League. Uh, more importantly, I mean, uh, the fact that not everyone's on the same currency, the fact that you would kind of the, all travel would be subject to huge currency swings depending on what the pound is doing relative to the euro, et cetera. Uh, I, yeah, I just don't see it. I don't see it happening at any point in the near future. I have to go off the board for one second. Just one quick topic to talk about. I love this one. Bar goes off the board. Yes. You have no idea. NASCAR or Detroit? What about the Pistons? Oh, exactly. I was going to say, what, what about John Sally? <laughs> <laughs> you, hit, you hit my suit. NASCAR, yes. man. Oh, okay. I've got to talk about that because they just ran at Richmond uh, Saturday night. But, uh, my goodness, the crowds are way down. I mean, I, I mean, this is even – I'm seeing it even worse than in previous years. Why, why do they say ran at Richmond when they're driving? <laughs> That's my NASCAR question. Okay. That's not it's all I got. I'm not even This is where we just let the silence go. Okay. Let me kill this cricket, but, right? Yeah, yeah, this is I mean, this is nothing new though. The past couple of years we've sort of seen what's going on at the attendance at tracks. Uh we had Brent Dewar in here and we I remember when we right. asked him about, "All right, is this myth or not?" and he still talked about sort of the the audience of the social and the digital, and maybe they're not all being reached, and how they enhance uh, enhance the audience. It's not just the number of people watching. Um, yeah, I mean NASCAR's got issues. That, that that's the bottom line. NASCAR has issues. They've got to find a way to get those eyeballs back up. And I'm not going to pretend I know the answer on how to do it. Well, to give you an idea, Richmond had 110,000 seats at one point. They narrowed it down to 60,000. And they still had a problem filling those grandstands Saturday night. And you know it hurts me because I'm a huge NASCAR fan. I, I don't know what the answer is to get people back in the stands. So. In 20 years, I fear that all these stadiums are just going to be one-off college football stadiums. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Fill, fill it with 110,000 people, and, yeah. have a Toby Keith concert the night before, and, and that's uh, what they all do. Right, but, Bar, but before we do wrap, uh, who we have Marty Truex, uh, Joey Logano. Who won this thing? Kenseth. No. Oh, Matt Kenseth won? No. I don't know. Oh, who no. won? No, Kyle Busch. Oh, okay. Kyle Busch. I did See, not We know. could have guessed him eventually. So I, I would have gotten there. You would have gotten there. I would have gotten there. Medina doesn't even know who that is. <laughs> At least I do. We love you, Medina. <laughs> this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr along with Scott Soschnick and Eben Noby williams We're here each and every Monday and Friday exploring the big money issues of world and sports and the stuff Barr wants to talk about. And join us again at the end of the week when we speak with New York City Football Club President John Patrickoff. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. 